in this sermon Jesus is teaching, he's talked about the blessings of the woes, and uh, now he comes to talk about our um, how we deal with other people, particularly in terms of revenge and generosity, which are kind of the opposite extremes. So, uh, how about 27 to 38? But I say to you who fear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardoned, pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. So, how do we treat others? How do we treat those who are unworthy? How do we treat people who hurt us, who mistreat us, who annoy us? How do we treat people at work, our neighbors, people in our family, brethren? And, uh, wow, this is challenging. You know, love them. But they don't deserve our love. And do good to them, but they don't do good to us. And bless them, but they curse us. And pray for them, but they mistreat us. We're supposed to actively seek to do good for the people who are doing us harm. And that's just not easy to do. It goes against the grain. You know, our tendency is to want to do bad to those who hurt us. And, you know, he uses some examples that really emphasize how self-sacrificing these principles are. Now, I believe that what he says in 29 and 30 is decidedly, um, you know, extreme to make a point. You know, if you, somebody hits you on one cheek, then offer him the other one. <laughs> and if he takes away your coat, you know, give him your shirt too. And, uh, you know, if somebody give to anybody who asks you, you know, and don't ask back, you know, somebody who takes something that's yours. Um, you know, the point is, don't take revenge. The point is, go against your selfish desires to do good for other people. You know, and he says that in a way in 29 and 30 to really get attention. You know, forget this. How many times have you heard, turn the other cheek? You know, we do remember that. I don't think he's saying that literally in every situation. I don't think he's saying, for example, that it's wrong to flee persecution. Jesus in other passages said to flee persecution. So we don't have to, if they, if they, you know, hit us on one cheek, we don't have to say you missed one, you know, <laughs> come over here too. It's not saying that. 
you know, it's not saying, you know, just let him take all your clothes and, you know, go without. You know, that, that would create another issue, obviously. Um, so, but, but he is saying, you know, be aggressively loving. Seek what's best for others in ways that go way beyond your self-interest, in ways that expose you to being mistreated and to being hurt. Now, he, he says, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. You know, so think about how you'd want somebody to treat you, treat them that way. If you just treat people good who treat you well, scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Well, anybody does that. You know, I mean, that's his kind of self-interest. So he's saying treat well people who mistreat you. And I think the most helpful thing in really in terms of trying to understand this and also motivating us to do it is 35 and 36 where he uses God as the example. He is kind to ungrateful evil men. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. He is the model. He is the pattern. The whole foundation of how we treat other people is how God treats us. So is God merciful to us? Is he gracious to us? You know, what does he... Does... does does it mean that God would never um, rebuke us? You know, no. The loving thing to do sometimes is to rebuke. But it means that he's always doing what's loving for us. He's not thinking about, you know, his own, you know, ego or interests or desires. He's thinking about us. And, you know, wonder what it's like to treat people like us well as God. You know, what, 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 do, you, what do you suppose God feels about us? Wouldn't, wouldn't, if, if God let himself, couldn't we be a little annoying? A little disgusting? A little frustrating? You know, really? I mean, wow. You can sure see that, you know, as a way that, that, you know, if, if, if God had human emotions, he'd surely feel that way. Think about how perfect he is, how holy he is, how he never does anything wrong. And so we really need to have the same merciful attitude toward others. I mean, think about it. If God treats us mercifully and kindly and forgivingly, and then we turn around and we don't treat our brother that way, or we don't treat our neighbor that way, well, we're receiving and we're not giving. That's pretty outrageous. We need to give back the love and grace we've received. So this, these are good rules for the playground. For picking up clothes and putting away toothpaste, and I'm, I'm reading this, but merging in heavy traffic and sharing an office and resolving a dispute with a neighbor. You know, I thought that was a pretty good list. You know, just think about it in practical everyday terms. You know, when it comes to daily life, trying to always seek to do good and be kind and do things that go beyond what's just. What's just is, you do it to me, I'll do it to you. You don't do it to me, I won't do it to you. That's just. But God treats us in the ways of mercy. So we need to be merciful. Uh, so through 36, that's what I see. What are your thoughts and comments and questions? Mm-hmm. I struggle a little bit to see how 29 fits with that. Because like it's about doing <clears throat> loving things for others, but I don't see how letting someone beat you up is loving to them. I think I think that's in part saying don't take revenge. Okay. So rather than hitting him back, turn the other cheek. Okay. You know, I think that's a lot of that. And it's I, I think Jesus is saying things to get attention. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus will sometimes make some statements that that 
you know, he doesn't intend to be applied literally. He's making us think about how we ought to do the loving thing even when we're mistreated. Now, maybe that's not literally to turn the other cheek. I mean, you know, even Paul, didn't he appeal to Caesar? And didn't he appeal to his Roman citizenship? I mean, it doesn't mean that, okay, if you're about to get beat up, you know, make sure you're, uh, you know, make sure you don't do anything. You know, make sure you come closer so he can be sure and hit you good. You know, that's not quite the idea. You know, it wouldn't be wrong to appeal to authorities in in a case like that. You know, it's not wrong. But, but, but you see how we often just have this, I want what I want for me philosophy. That I'm just looking out for what I think is what I want. And, and we can't do that. You know, we've got to be more, more loving. So I think we always do the loving thing, even though that may not be literally saying you missed a cheek. There could certainly be some times where you would apply this. You know, like you can imagine like someone cutting you in line or something and you just graciously move back to give them more room or something like that. And Absolutely. You know, so there would certainly be times yes. where you're sort of giving even more to someone who is doing something mean to you. Yes, exactly. You're exactly right. The thing we would say is the extreme in these, no. I mean, if somebody asks for everything you own and you support a family... You're gonna just fork off, fork over the deed to your house and, you know, car title and all that. And no, that wouldn't be the responsible thing. That wouldn't even be good for them, necessarily. So, you know, there's, there's limits to this. But you're right. You know, we're so focused on our rights. We're so focused on getting what we deserve. Jesus did not do that. I mean, you think about Jesus. How far did he go with sacrificing himself? You know? I mean, how much was he willing to endure? You know, so if it's helpful to someone else, if it's loving, we don't say, well, this would, I, this just doesn't please me. You know, this is not what I want. That's really not the issue. Now, 37 and 38 are interesting. You know, don't judge and you'll not be judged. Don't condemn and you won't be condemned. Pardon and be pardoned. We shouldn't be harsh, critical, judgmental. You know, it doesn't mean we don't rebuke people lovingly because of their sin, but it means we're not harsh, we're not, we're not fault finders. We, we, and we're eager to forgive. You know, I'd forget. You know, we give and it'll be given to us. I mean, basically the point in the end of verse 38 is how you treat others, how you'll be treated. So if you're not forgiving, you won't be forgiven. You know, if you're not generous, you won't, God won't be generous back. You know, think about it. If God treated you the way you treat your enemies, how would we how would we be faring? How would that work for us? You know, if you thought about that more, you know, God's going to treat you the way you treat everybody else. Wow. Isn't that basically what that's saying? So these are demanding teachings, even if not everything is to be applied literally to the nth degree. Thoughts and comments? How come everybody in the world can remember that verse? <laughs> Do not judge. <laughs> judge not unless you... <laughs> yeah. They only remember, actually, the first part. Don't judge. That's right. They don't even come back with, you know, 
But again, that, that's got to be in the context because we're told in every other verse to judge, to make judgments. Right, so it's not saying don't make judgments, it's saying don't condemn, don't be hypercritical, don't be harsh. He contrasts it with pardoning. So as opposed to, you know, just trying to get the nth degree of satisfaction and justice out of the person, be forgiven. Yeah, I mean, but even in that, you can't take that literally. You know, to pardon a sin, not in, you know, in every situation, that's not going to be a literal... Yes, we, we, I think, you know, we would properly say that when someone repents, we always should forgive him. When they are, don't repent, we have a forgiving spirit. You know, we have the attitude of a Stephen or a Jesus who's praying for their forgiveness and praying for their repentance and wanting them to be in a position where we can totally forgive them. But we don't have, we don't harbor resentment and bitterness, things like that. And who is it that's not going to judge us if we do not judge? Who's not going to condemn us? I, think, I mean, is it God? I think God, yeah. Okay. I think the idea is, again, okay, God will be as critical and harsh toward us as we are toward others. So if we're the kind of person who is always fault-finding and always seeking to put other people down, that's the kind of attitude we expect God to have toward us. You know, God is very gracious. You know, obviously that doesn't mean God doesn't have expectations. It doesn't mean he doesn't discipline us. It doesn't mean... But, but wow, when you consider what we deserve. You know, I think some of this, if we understood more how undeserving we are of God's grace, then we wouldn't say about our enemy, well, I'm not going to treat them right. They don't deserve it. Well, what if that's what God said about his enemy? So, you know, Jesus always, I think, has the most challenging teaching. I I don't think there's anywhere in the Bible that, man, just makes us really see ourselves as way inadequate as much as Jesus teaching to us. Almost everywhere he teaches. It's like, wow, wow. So, that's, that's interesting to me. Other thoughts? Just to note, at the end of verse 35, he's kind to the ungrateful and evil men, and we got to remember, that's us. We are those ungrateful and evil people. At least once in our lives, we have been that person. <laughs> yeah, at least once. At least once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <coughs> a multitude of times. Yeah. We're not talking about that. More, more likely. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, again, you know, it, it's so, when, when, think about the times when you've really um, been tempted or maybe have fallen into just being harsh and and vengeful. And, you know, and, and at those times, you stop and think about how God's treating you and how merciful and gracious he is to you. That it's hard to want to seek revenge and make them pay and all that. How about 39-42? And he also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide the blind man, can he? 
uh, will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil was not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully tra trained will be like his teacher. Now why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Okay, so he talks about eyesight here in these verses, and several different things that a blind man can't guide a blind man. You know, a blind man floundering a ditch, floundering in a ditch is not a very good prospect for his pupils. You know, so don't be a teacher if you don't see where you're going. How can you, how can you guide other people? You know, teaching without knowing what you're talking about is a disaster. You know, we're responsible for the people we're leading and where we're leading them to. I would say even don't be a teacher if your wickedness disqualifies you. You know, don't don't be caught in the trap of feeling like, well, I can tell them the right thing. I don't do it, but I can tell them. Um, so, you know, you don't want to be a blind leader of the blind. On the other hand, I think it's teaching us we don't accept inadequate teachers. You know, somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about is not the guy who ought to be teaching us and not the guy who ought to be, we ought to be listening to. We ought to choose more carefully who we listen to and who we imitate. I would say in that same line, somebody who's clearly not living for the Lord, it's better to move on. Have a teacher that you can follow their life, not just who's a good talker. And then he talks about blind counselors. So, you know, here's the guy who notices a speck in his brother's eye and is like, please allow me. And he wants to get that speck out. The problem is, he's not dealt with his own problems. He wants to give everybody else expert advice. <laughs> he knows what they need to do, but he's not doing it with himself. You know, so haul the lumber out of your own life before you remove the splinters out of everybody else's life. You know, isn't it amazing how easily we tend to see everybody else's problems and we don't see our own? Um, so, like, how can you have the nerves to straighten other people out when you haven't deal dealt with your own sin? And, and I think that's a, a very important lesson for us. I mean, whose sins should I understand the best? Shouldn't it be my own? I mean, shouldn't I really... Whose sins ought to bother me the most? Ought to make me the saddest and the most upset? Shouldn't it be mine? Shouldn't it be that I'm most concerned about being what I ought to be before God, before I'm trying to, you know, reform everybody else? So... You know, thinking about our own need for mercy will make us more merciful with others. Thoughts and comments about that? Forty-three to forty-five. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. <clears throat> but every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Isn't it interesting how Jesus uses such uh, rather um, obvious illustrations? I mean, you know, really. Uh, what's the fruit on a tree like? 
The tree. The tree. Wow, that was deep. You know, but that is deep when it comes to the application, or at least we struggle with it. I mean, you know that the fruit always, you know, corresponds to the tree. If it's a certain kind of a tree, it bears that kind of fruit every single time. If it's a healthy tree, it bears pretty good fruit. If it's a sickly tree, it's going to bear sickly fruit. You know, you always know that. And so if I told you that I picked that apple off of that peach tree, you're not going to believe me. I didn't do it. That's not, that's not happening. Maybe somebody glued an apple onto the peach tree, but it didn't grow from it. We know that. So the point he's making is, what you do reflects who you are. Your being and your doing are, are, are you know, totally connected. So what you produce like it or not, tells you who you are. You know, it exposes your true identity. You know, so why did I say and do what I said and do? Because that's who I was. That's who I am. We like to say, yes, I knew I did that, but that really wasn't me. You know, I'm not really like that. Well, how are you not like that? It's what you did. Yeah, but it wasn't really me. Well, it looked like it was. You know, I mean, who was it? You know, what we do, even he says in 45, what we say. You know, what you say reflects your inner person. I didn't mean to say that. You know, I didn't think about it first. Well, you know what? The things you say without thinking are usually the better reflection of what you really feel. You know, if you think about it long enough, you can doctor it up and make it sound okay. <laughs> but boy, what you blurt out is usually the truth of the matter, how you feel about it. You know, that's kind of scary. You know, so again, I can't say, well, I know I said that, but it wasn't me. You know, we want to divorce what we say and do from who we are. And we can't do that. You know, so we got this idea, well, I know so-and-so does really bad stuff, but he's a really good person. So what makes him a really good person? You know, how, how could you tell? There's a great, there's a wonderful, you know, it's a wonderful cherry tree. I know it's only bearing oranges, but it's a great cherry tree at heart. Well, you're, well there's no way to show that. So, you know, what we do, what we say, is a reflection of who we are. I think that's very obvious and very profound. And we, like, don't believe that anymore. And we need to go back to the lesson of the tree and its fruit. Thoughts and comments about that one? Never really use that excuse when we say something or do something good. <laughs> yeah, we don't say that wasn't me, do we? <laughs> I didn't mean to pay you that compliment. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting thought. We only want to take responsibility for our good deeds, not for the bad ones. Yeah. Well, Jesus did the same thing with the paralytic. It said that he saw his faith. He saw him because of what he did, his actions. He was able to make an insight about his character. Of course. Yeah. By their fruits you shall know them in Matthew 7. Think about how we talk about wrong things we do. I just today, a guy 
messaged me and confessed some sins. But but he did something wrong. But what he said is, well, I ended up seeing this. And what he really should have said is, I chose to look at this. But he said, I ended up seeing it. Which, which that's not okay. That's true in a way. But it, you, if you end up doing something, it's almost like it happened to you. You know, it just, it just, I just ended up seeing it. Well, you probably wouldn't end up seeing it if you hadn't chose to look for it. You know, oh, we do that with a lot of things, you know, and, and like this happened and that happened, you know, and, and, you know, uh, it just happened that I got drunk. You know, how did it happen that you got drunk? You chose to drink, right? I mean, what did just come over you? You know, this, wow, I just, it just happened. You know, but we'll do a lot of impersonal expressions. You know, and, and, and that situation made me angry. And this made me say mean things, made me cuss. You know, whatever. You know, what made you cuss? You made you cuss. You know, or whatever it is. That's the challenge for us. To take personal responsibility. I made the choice. And you can, you just listen to people when they, when they actually confess their sins. And you'll hear all these statements that avoid responsibility. Because we're not willing to accept the fact, I did it because I chose to. It's, it's like writing something in passive voice as opposed to active voice. Yes. <laughs> you, you know, the bomb exploded, you know, or instead of, I exploded the bomb. Uh, yeah, the gun fired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this, I pulled the trigger, actually, but you know. <laughs> that's, that's something that in, in law school and legal writing, you learn how you how to use one or the other, depending on who's on your own. You know, the, pers- the, the gun was fired by me, or, you know, the defendant fired the gun. Which way are you going? And, yes. And it it strengthens or weakens the responsibility and how you think about it. So Absolutely, it does. It's exactly right. We don't often think about that, but I, I mean, I've gotten to where more and more as people tell me wrong things they did, it jumps out at me. Wow, the way they said that, you'd have never known they had any guilt whatsoever in that. You know, this poor unfortunate soul that all these things happened to. <laughs> you know, and and he was the passive victim of all these things that he did. <laughs> but, you know, and, and we'll never make changes when we're a victim. We make changes when we're responsible, when we're guilty. So I really like those verses and think they're very key verses in our lives. Thoughts or, any further thoughts or comments? 46 to 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation upon the rock. And when a flood rose, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house upon the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of the house was great. All right. So why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? I mean, words are not enough. They're not a substitute for obedience. 
sometimes we like to say nice things. Oh, we call him Lord. But what does Lord mean? Master. So, if he's our master, what do we do? Obey. Serve, obey, exactly. You know, we shouldn't just utter it lightly, Lord, Lord. We ought to think about the meaning of that. And he illustrates it with two builders here. And uh, if you're going to build a house, you really need to dig a foundation deeply. That may be harder, tougher, but it's the only real security in the storm. It's too easy to be content with superficial effort. And he's comparing the guy who builds deeply. He digs the footers down there and pours them right with the guy who hears his words and does it. Now, it's a lot harder to do it, but that's what's going to get your foundation laid solidly and securely. The sand sites are sold by real estate agents uh, that are uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. And they're popular, they're attractive, and they're cheap. But they're not worth much. And that's the guy who doesn't do what God says, what Jesus says. So we got to hear the words of Jesus, we got to do the words of Jesus. And, you know, you think about somebody listening to this sermon. And at least the way it's portrayed here, the sermon ends... But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built his house on the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it and immediately collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Kind of echoes in your ear at the end of this sermon. At least the way Luke wrote it, that's what echoes in our ear, and the ruin of his house was great. Wow, what a way to end a sermon. <laughs> but that's what happens. The ruin of one's soul is great when he doesn't do he just hears. You know, it's great to listen to a nice sermon. Sometimes we almost feel, have you ever felt this way? Like, man, that sermon really stepped on my toes. That sure didn't make me feel bad. Okay, that may be the first step. But that didn't, that didn't make up for anything. That didn't do anything. You can't just say, well, I, I took my, I took my licking. I really felt bad. You gotta change. You gotta do the right thing. Not just feel bad. All right, thoughts or comments on chapter 6? All right, chapter 7. Um, we've got a pair of healings here to begin the chapter. Uh, 